Thank God for the oil of the Holy Ghost, amen, that keeps us burning bright, amen. Just when we think we're running out of energy, the Holy Ghost shows up and pours in another batch of oil. Glory to God, and we can go on for another day, hallelujah. If you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 6, and I want to preach on living in the newness of spirit, hallelujah, living and the newness of spirit. You know, I wish I had known early in life that life was more spiritual than physical. Because I spent the first 30 years of my life concentrating on the physical me and not the spiritual me. Because in my mind, the physical me was the most important thing in life, only to come to find out that is not the reality because how many know the physical you and I, because we are triune beings, we are body, soul, and spirit. But the physical you, one day will no longer exist, amen? It is not going to be around anymore. But the spiritual you and the spiritual me, we will exist. And so my perspective was wrong. I spent much time, effort, and money in the physical me, and the spiritual me was bankrupt. And thank God tonight that you and I can come to Christ and have the newness of spirit and a revelation of what life really is all about. Romans chapter 6, we're going to read from verses 3 to verse 6 this evening. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Hallelujah. Paul just said a mouthful there. Hallelujah. I want to talk first about biblical knowledge. You know, you can have knowledge about a bunch of other subjects in life, but how many know knowledge of God is critical? You know, we're not going to lose our soul if we don't understand biology. Amen. If we don't uh, understand economics, so we can't do trigonometry, amen. We can't do those. That's not crucial, but biblical truth is very crucial tonight in life because it allows us to understand what is really important in life. Our Christian life must be built on a biblical truth foundation. And I stress biblical truth because there are many, you know, even in Jesus' day and as well in our day, those who claim to be representatives of God, but the foundation that they're laying is not a biblical foundation, thereby leading many astray. So Jesus said the truth brings freedom. And we're living in a generation where people are looking for freedom, right? You know, back in the 60s, that was, uh, we want freedom. Uh, and uh, we thought that freedom was found in the drugs and the alcohol and the illicit uh, uh, relationships of the world. Uh, but how many know that just brought a bondage? Yeah. 
But Jesus says truth is important because it brings freedom. So the Christian life is supposed to produce a total freedom. This is why Jesus said these words in John chapter 8 verse 36. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And this word free indeed or this phrase in Thayer's Bible Dictionary it says it means this. The reality or the fact of freedom as opposed to what is pretended, fictitious or false. And so the Bible is saying there's a true liberty and a true freedom in Christ, but there's also a counterfeit freedom. It is false, it's fictitious. You know, today people are walking down the street thinking, well, I don't have to go to church. I'm free. I'm doing whatever I want to do. I'm free. Not understanding that they don't have freedom. Amen. That was, my, that was my mantra. That was my song. I'm free. I can stop doing this anytime I want. Right? How many times I said I can stop anytime I want. But the reality is when I did try to stop, I couldn't. Amen. That, that really got my attention. And I realized I wasn't as free as I thought I was. Hallelujah. So we're not talking about a fictitious freedom where people think they're free. And the reality is that they're not. But we're talking about a true freedom tonight that comes in Jesus Christ. But this will only come if we are built on a biblical foundation. We know years ago, you know, the uh, pastor uh, Jim Jones, he convinced people that he was Jesus. As he began to hold up his hands and blood come down, you know, demonic manifestation and people followed him, and they drank poison and, and, and destroyed their lives because they did not recognize biblical foundation. I mean, no, the Bible says, if any man claims to be Christ, run. <laughs> run in the other direction. If you come to church one night and I say, hey, everybody, I just found out today, I checked my ID, I'm actually Jesus. Grab your pocketbook and run, hallelujah, because it's trouble. It's not a biblical foundation. So let's look at some biblical truths tonight that you and I can begin to build our lives on. In the word of God, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is talking to his generation. He says these words. Uh, I think I got them. Okay. Jesus answering said unto them, do, you, uh, do ye not therefore err, because you know not the scriptures, neither the power of God. Now, he's not talking to sinners. He's talking to the religious people. He's talking to the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, those that have their degrees in, in their quote-unquote theology. And Jesus tells them this powerful truth. He says, you do error because first you don't know the scripture. In other words, you don't have a biblical foundation. And because you don't have a biblical foundation, you don't understand the power of God. What a powerful shot. You're supposed to be the leaders of the people. You're supposed to be teaching them and guiding them. And you yourself are in error because you don't know the power of God. See, the, the, the controversy was Jesus, amen, was healing people. And they said he was healing them by the devil's power. How many know that's insane? The devil don't heal anybody. He puts sickness on people. Is Jesus healing them? And they said, oh no, he's doing it by Beelzebub. Uh, he's, uh, he's of the devil. 
So Jesus is saying, if you don't know the word of God, you're going to be in error concerning God's power. Hallelujah. So what are some of the truths the Bible teaches us? Matthew 9, verse 6. This is Jesus talking, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he, of the, uh, saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go to thy house. See, the problem was, all, everyone had come together, Jesus heals this man who's paralyzed, and everybody's upset. Uh, everybody can't. Listen, who does he think? He can't do this. this is, the problem was Jesus had said, your sins are forgiven to the man. This is what really upset them. Yet the healing was real, but they didn't like the fact that he said, I can forgive your sins. And they didn't understand that that was the dynamic of his ministry. Jesus was addressing religious people who had missed the wonderful truth of the Messiah, how he was going to come, and what his mission was, was to do a powerful work in us to forgive our sins. So he says to them that you might know that the Son of Man has power to forgive. He said, I've come to forgive sins. I don't know about you, but that was good news to me when I heard that, that Jesus says my sins could be forgiven. Now, many people are excited about this because they don't have a biblical truth foundation. Listen to what it says in Romans 5, 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin... And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. People get upset when you tell them they're sinners. What do you mean I'm a sinner? Well, the Bible says all have sinned. See, why? Well, listen, I didn't do anything. I I'm not responsible for Jesus' death. And well, the Bible says when Adam sinned, that that thing came onto all of humanity. And the proof of that is, he says, is that everyone dies. That's the proof that we've got sin in our nature. Because we're going, we're working our way toward death. Because that's what Adam did when he disobeyed God. And it passed on to everyone. And so we're not pointing out or pointing the finger. The reality is we're all in the same boat tonight. We're all sinners. Amen. In need of God's forgiveness and of God's grace. Hallelujah. So they miss the power of God because they didn't have a good foundation in the word of God, even though they were religious teachers. Matthew 1, 21. The angels proclaim this, and she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This is his ministry. He didn't come to build a church. He didn't come to build a religion. He came to forgive us of our sins. That's what the angels said. That was God's proclamation. And they, the religious leaders said, you can't do that. You, yeah, you might be able to heal somebody, but you can't forgive their sins. Only God can do that. They're telling God this. It's God in the flesh. Saying to this man, your sins are forgiven. What a wonderful message. That our sins are can be forgiven. Hallelujah. He goes on to say in John chapter 6 verse 37. And that the Father, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And to him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Here's more good news. That it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. Jesus says, I'll accept you. 
It's not like the world. I mean, know there's some places, uh, uh, some uh, uh, clubs that you can't join. Amen. Oh, you might want to join. Say, listen, uh, uh, can, can I join your, your, your country club or your group? Uh, and uh, no, you don't meet the criteria. Imagine if Jesus was like that. Lord, I want to give my life to you. Well, let me check and see if uh, you meet the criteria. No, he says, everyone, all the, anybody who comes to me, I will not cast them out. I'll receive them. I'll forgive their sins. That's, that's proven out on the day of the crucifixion. Here's a thief on one side who says, Lord, remember me in your kingdom. In other words, Jesus, I know you're innocent. I know you shouldn't be dying here. I'm deserving what I'm getting, but I want to believe in you. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Because no matter who comes to him, no matter our history, no matter our background, he says, I will receive you. I won't cast anybody out. Hallelujah. Forgiveness of sins available to everyone. That might blow our minds, and we can't process all that. But the mercy of God says, anyone who will come to me and humble themselves and ask my forgiveness, he says, I will give them forgiveness. So forgiveness of sin is available to everyone. The next biblical truth, we're dead to sin. Hallelujah. This is where the power in the Christian life lies, is that we're dead to sin. In verse 4 of our text, it says, Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death. And Paul is bringing out here how the, uh, the physical action of going and being baptized, submerged in the water, uh, signifies the old man dying, coming up out of the water, signifies the resurrection in the spiritual realm of life. Uh, He's not saying that baptism saves us, but our obedience to Christ maintains our salvation. How I many know it's one thing to get saved, but it's another thing to obey God? Amen. Yeah, our obedience, the Bible says, be baptized. And so uh, I've had people say, well, you know what? I don't see why I have to do that. Why? Well, listen, God told you to do it, not me. And so uh, the action is symbolically death and resurrection. That's what it's teaching us. But see, the main thing is obedience. Obedience. Salvation is maintained through obedience. Thank God the day came when we finally went to an altar and said yes to Jesus. Uh, but I mean, no, that has to be followed up with obedience. Amen. I learned that the hard way. Amen. I, I said yes to Jesus and then I went my way. I was feeling good. I, God touched me. I knew I was forgiven and I was excited. To, but I went back to do my own thing. And I had to learn, amen. Uh, uh, obedience is required. And so eventually I got the revelation. Hallelujah. I need to start obeying God. Hallelujah. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And so the biblical teaching of the church is, is that baptism is commanded by God. This is not just a religious ritual. You know, that's, that's, that's what really got the Jews. They had their ritual. Uh, they would go to the priest. Uh, he would sprinkle them with some watery men, uh, say some words over them, uh, and they thought they were all set. And here comes John the Baptist on the scene. 
And he's totally radical, man. You know, he's he's not wearing the, the dress of the day, but he's wearing camel's hair. He's eating bugs, amen. We've got enough bugs. We can start eating bugs now, amen. But he's eating bugs. And uh, his baptism is totally different. They were going to the priest and getting sprinkled. John says, come on in. And then he dunks them. He submerses them. This symbolic, amen. The old is dead. The, the new is being resurrected, amen. And this is what the Bible teaches you and I. Uh, of being baptized into the kingdom of God. Not that baptism makes you a member. But baptism keeps your obedience to God. Amen. Hallelujah. The physical act reveals the spiritual reality that the old man is dead. Hallelujah. That's good news. I was trying to kill him for years, but he kept resurrecting. God finally killed him dead. Delivered me from him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so obedience, listen to this, obedience proves that our flesh is no longer in control. Think about that. When we obey God, we're proving that our flesh is no longer in control. When my flesh was in control, I was running from the church as fast and as far as I could. Amen. But now that my flesh is no longer in control, I'm running toward the things of God. And so this is the, the declaration that comes to light when we begin to give our life to Jesus Christ. And then we add obedience to that. What we're saying is the flesh is now dead. It can no longer control me. <laughs> Romans 8 verse 2 For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. All the apostles writing this, this man was, he was very religious. He was on his way to being a high priest. But he says, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit broke, amen, my flesh to where I would obey God and follow him. And now death is no longer working in me, but life. Think about this tonight. As you and I serve God, we're not working our way toward eternal death, but eternal life. We're, we're, we're progressing, amen. Uh, we're, we're headed someplace because now our flesh is not in control, but our spirit is. And only the spirit of God knows the way to eternal life, amen. I know lots of people think they know, oh, I know how to, you know, I know how to get to, to, to heaven through my good works. I can get there by the amount of money I give. I can get there by all the things I sacrifice. No, 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 no. The Bible says there's one way. And that's through Christ Jesus. So Paul says the law of the spirit of life has made me free. You know, there's nothing like being free tonight. To live in this world and see all the bondages people are stuck in. And you and I can walk right through that and not, not even be tempted. Not even be drawn to those things because of the life of the Spirit that now is alive in us to where we can obey the voice of God rather than our flesh. This may sound strange to you tonight, but true freedom comes when you become a servant, a servant of God, that is. When you're truly free, it's because you've chosen to serve God.
And when we don't choose to fully serve God, that means that we're still in control. And there's still a power struggle. Today, God's on the throne. Tomorrow, I'll be sitting there. (laughs) No, he needs to be in control. So how do we know that we've put the flesh to death? Well, life will prove it. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Bible says he takes his disciples up there and there appears Elijah and Moses. And many Bible commentators believe this was the place it was revealed to Christ, the manner of death, that he was going to die. That he was going to be brutally beaten. He was going to die on the pagan symbol of the cross. He was going to be tortured. Comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration knowing this. And then he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. We know the story there. He has his disciples stay here. I'm going to pray a little while. Pray with me. He goes a little bit further. The Bible says he begins to, to pray earnestly. As though great, great drops of blood were coming from him. In other words, uh, this is a very uh, heart-wrenching moment. And we know the scripture says in Luke 22, verse 42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. This is proof that our flesh has no longer has control of us. Because what this prayer is representing tonight is that Jesus, he's just like you and I, he's in this carnal body. And he's been shown something that he's going to have to deal with in life. And he knows it's going to be difficult and his flesh is not looking forward to it. I mean, the flesh is not excited about being nailed to the cross. And so he prays. We get a glimpse of humanity here in Jesus' prayer. Lord, I don't want to do this. You ever had that thought? God, I know what your word says, but I'm not feeling this right now. I know what I'm supposed to do, God, but I'm, I'm really not into it. This is what his prayer said. If there's any way that I can change this, Lord, if there's any way I can get around this, if we could come up with a different plan, something less traumatic in my life, can we remove this? And then he says these powerful words, but nevertheless. Nevertheless. God, I want this to be different. God, I want a different avenue. I don't want to have to go through this. But if I have to, I will. And after he prays this prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, we know the story. The soldiers come. They take him captive. They take him to the authorities. They scourge him. They beat him. They mock him. And then they have him marching down the, uh, the road, the Via Dolorosa, carrying his cross. And they're going to crucify him. Now think about this. As Jesus is on the road to be crucified. At any point in time, he could say, you know what? I've changed my mind. I decided I don't want to go through with this. How I many of you, you ever, you know, 
I mean, we can be honest tonight. We're in church, amen. We're serving God, and we start down the road that we told God we're going to go down. But as we get down that road, you know, as he's carrying this, they're still whipping him. They're still mocking him. And sometimes we get down the road a little bit. Yeah, God, we're going to do this, but we get down the road. All of a sudden, it's like, you know what? Man, later for this. Who needs this? Look at these people. Let them all go to hell. (laughs) I don't want to suffer this anymore. At any point, Jesus could have said, you know what? Game over. I don't want to go through with this. But see, you know, his flesh was screaming every, every step of the way. Yet his spirit said, no, obedience. Obedience. So as we're serving God, we will have our out of transfiguration moment where God begins to reveal to us, you know what, maybe things that we're not excited about having to do. We come down from that place and we go into our prayer closet and we're praying, God, I, I don't know if I can deal with this, God, I don't know how I'm going to get through it, but I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. But then we have to get out of the closet and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do this. And as we start walking down that path, every devil in hell is going to be mocking you. Look at your life. Oh, I thought it was supposed to be good serving this God. But look, uh, you're being mocked by the crowd. You're being whipped. Life is having its way with you. Where's your God now? This is the Via Dolorosa, the road of pain. And in that place, you and I will have to make the decision, listen, I'm going to go through with this. And that is a confirmation that your flesh is dead. That you're truly free. That you're truly free, but that your flesh can no longer direct you. How many know your flesh is crazy? It really is. And if you let it, it'll make you as crazy. And my mother used to say, they're crazier than a bed bug. I don't know what that meant, but it sounded crazy, man. <laughs> and the, the, the flesh will make you crazy if you let it direct your life. But the proof that is dead is that as hard as it may be to obey, we obey. And that says that you are truly free indeed. Hallelujah. So let's look then at our new life. It says in verse 5 of our text, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Jesus resurrected from the dead. And when he resurrected from the dead, the Bible says 40 days he's walking talking, fellowshipping with his disciples as he has overcome the greatest enemy which was death. That thing which we fear uh, that begins to speak to us I'm going to hold you captive and you're going to be mine forever. Death was screaming at Christ on the cross but how many know three days later the stone was rolled away and he was resurrected from the dead and now he's out, he's walking, he's talking, he's fellowshipping. Those things could not have happened except he was obedient to God. 
And so you might be going through situations that feel like you are being crucified. Like the nails are being driven in. And what Jesus said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Ever felt that way? God, where are you? Yet after the resurrection, he's walking, he's ministering the word of God. He's conquered the greatest enemy of humanity, death. He has a new life. He's walking now in resurrection power. Isn't it interesting that none of the Roman soldiers come to get him? None of the religious folks come to challenge him? See, we're talking about dominion. When God, when, when you go through uh, that crucible of life where everything in you wants to scream and give up, but yet you hold on and God's able to bring you through when you begin to live your life, it's a life of dominion. People begin to understand, hey, listen, there's something different about that person. I don't know what it is, but there's something different. There comes a dynamic of respect. Listen, they might not agree with your philosophy, but they cannot speak against the power of your life. As they try to tempt you with the things of this world, and you simply turn them down, not even tempted, because of the power of the resurrection. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature. This is the beauty of Christianity. When we come to Jesus Christ, we are resurrected a new being because this is the promise of God. You have just defeated your enemy of spiritual death through obedience and God raises you up and now you can be like Jesus. You're walking, you're talking, you're ministering. You have a confidence because of what God has done in your life. In that text it says, Behold, all things become new. That's saying, that word behold means to look. In other words, not, not just a glance, but look, look at this. And what God is saying, look at what I can do with your life. If you'll obey me, I will get you out of the spiritual tomb that the devil tried to put you in. He's saying, watch what I can do with a life that is surrendered to me. Amen. You know, I wish I could, you know, run your film of the insanity of my life before I came to Jesus. And you'd be like, man, you were really out of your mind. I was. I was out of my mind. Amen. I was doing the things of the world. But when Jesus Christ came into my life and I began to obey him and experience the resurrection power of obedience, I began to walk in dominion even to this day because that's what happens. Behold, in other words, God's watch over time, over the process of life, over getting you through the difficulties of life. What happens is you become a stronger and a stronger believer in Christ that you get dominion and wisdom in your walk with God till people have to look and say you know what I don't know what you've done but you're different <laughs> yeah well I haven't done it behold it was God Amen. it was the spirit of God that I simply obey this is a scripture that is, 
this is just so profound to me. Listen to this. John 14, 30. This is Jesus talking. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh, and he has nothing in me. I mean, when I first read that um, years ago, and I just kind of glanced over it. Uh, but after I began serving God for a while, I began to read that again. Uh, it, it leaps out at me what Jesus is saying. He's saying to his disciples, the devil is going to come and he's going to tempt me. He's going to try to remove me from the will of God. He's going to try to divert me. He's going to try and uh, hinder what my life is all about. How many remember uh, the temptation in the wilderness? The devil takes him up on a high mountain, up on a high place and says, Listen, if you worship me, I'll give you all of these things. He tried the temptation. But how many know the devil, is, one thing about the devil, he's persistent. He tried to tempt him in the beginning, and he's going to try to tempt him in the end. And Jesus says these powerful words. He's coming, but he has nothing in me. I begin to think about that. He has nothing in me. He's saying there's, there's no handle, there's no lever he can grab on in me. Because I've given obedience to God. There's nothing you can grab on. One Bible commentator says this about the text. It says, There is in me no principle or feeling that accords with his and nothing, therefore, by which he can prevail. Temptation only has power because there are some principles in us which accord with the designs of the tempter and which may be excited by the presenting corresponding objects until our virtue be overcome. And what he's saying is, uh, as, as Peter says, uh, let no man say God has tempted me, but we're all led away by our own temptation. And he's saying, if you let something lie in you, something you won't deal with, the devil will use that against you down the road. He'll come and dangle the carrot. Hey, look at this. Hey, where'd you get that from, devil? Yeah, you want it? Follow me. But Jesus says he's coming to tempt me, but he has nothing in me. Because he's given all obedience to Christ. Yeah. See, you want to get rid of the temptation that always seems to sidetrack you? Full obedience to Christ. Said he's got nothing in me. He's down to the wire now. This is it. If he, if he doesn't go through with this, uh, everything is off. Uh, but he says, the devil is coming and he has nothing in me. There's no handle. There's no principle. There's nothing hidden below the surface he can grab onto and lead me astray. And this is the beauty of the Christian life. That the Spirit of God will protect us because we're obeying him. And there's no place in you that the devil can grab on to and cause you to compromise your, your virtue. Hallelujah. In other words, Jesus did not have a price. Lots of folks have a price. There's lots of folks who are preaching the gospel now who have a price. And uh, you can see that because they've changed the message that they're preaching. Because there's something in there the devil can grab onto. 
But when you've given all obedience to Christ, not my will, but your will, Lord. This, this is your gospel. This is your idea. Listen, you got, you got a problem? Take it up with God. I didn't write it. I'm just preaching it. I'm just trying to live it the best I can. Jesus didn't have a price. When you obey God, you don't have a price. What you're saying to the devil is, uh, you can bid as high as you want. Not for sale. Not for sale. Man, let's bow our heads tonight. Living in the newness of the spirit. Tonight, you and I are so blessed. Because we've given our lives to Christ. Now we need to come to a place where we can say that tempter of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. Hallelujah. We are of a fallen nature from time to time. We need to sift through our own lives. And when David said, Lord, you search me. Because I know you search me good. If I search the Lord, I might, I might turn a blind eye to something. But God, you search me. And tonight, if you and I will be honest before the Lord, he is not to condemn us, but he wants to purge us. Remove those things that maybe the enemy down the road can use against us. Tonight, God wants us to be able to say the enemy is coming, but he has nothing in me. Maybe tonight, God is dealing with you about the issue of obedience. As the Spirit of God speaks to you in different circumstances and situations, God is saying, I'm not looking for perfection. I'm simply looking for obedience. Not looking for you to fix your life. I'm just looking for you to say yes to this area today and yes to that area tomorrow and yes to that area down the road to get you to a place of dominion. Hallelujah. As our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed tonight. We're in the house of God. If you're watching online as well, if you're not saved, you're not right with God, you don't know where you're going to spend eternity. If you've never given your life to Jesus or you're backslidden, now is the time to cry out to God and say, Lord, I need you. Lift your hands. Say, that's me. Jesus will see you. God will help you tonight. Hallelujah. Salvation is a beautiful thing. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Talking to the people of God tonight. God is speaking to your heart tonight. That the answer to the victory to the battles you are currently facing is simply obedience. You're not called to figure it out. You're not called to understand it. You just have to obey the voice of God. And as you do that, God is going to give you resurrection power in that area. It's going to eliminate something that the devil can no longer grab onto and divert you and move you off and distract you. God's going to help you tonight. Let's all stand the altars open this evening. You come. If you're watching online and you're not saved, you're not born again, I want to lead you in a prayer of faith tonight. You can give your life to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and you can know where you're going to spend eternity. So if you're watching online and you're not saved, come. I want to pray with you just say Lord Jesus I acknowledge your sin in my life and I want to repent of that sin tonight and I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay my sin debt and I'm receiving Christ into my heart to be my personal savior and to live for him from this day forward, in Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah.